0: Am I ready for the changes in my life that God is asking me to make? Am I prepared to open my mouth and speak in his name? While the path to change was extreme and abrupt for Paul on the road to Damascus, it was precisely what he needed. Our willingness and ability to align our hearts with God stems from a true desire and effort to heed the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. As we choose that path daily, we will find that we're given precisely what we need. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up.
1: When my heart is aligned with God's will, I usually feel a sort of comfort
2: or a sense of accomplishment. Like I know that what I'm doing is good and that God is happy with me. I just feel like this warmth and i just feel and it usually comes when i'm serving others um it just gives me this really warm feeling inside
0: i usually feel a sense of peace and so it might be months after a, a time of prayer or a time of um, anxiety but that peace will come
1: it's very peaceful when you're aligned with god and you understand that your life just has more meaning to it than just being crowded by everything else that happens in the world.
0: Welcome everybody. My name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Patrick Mason. Patrick is an author and religious historian who is a professor at Utah State University. He and his wife, Melissa, have four children and live in Logan, Utah. Patrick, it's so good to have you back.
3: Thanks, so good to be here.
0: And our special guest seated next to Patrick is Charles Dahlquist. Charles is an attorney, a leader in worldwide scouting organizations, and is a former Young Men General President for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He and his wife, Zella, have five girls, 16 grandchildren, and one great-granddaughter. Charles, happy to have you here.
4: Thanks, Ben. Nice to be here, and good to be here with Patrick as well. Thanks, Charles.
0: I've got a feeling we're going to have a good day today.
4: Yeah. It'll be great.
0: We also want to welcome our studio audience. Thank you all for being here. And to those viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout this discussion, we'll invite you to share your experiences with us on our social media platforms. For downloadable resources for study and teaching, visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more. The discussion topics we're gonna talk about today come from Acts chapters six through nine. And as usual, this tracks with the weekly study plan from the Come Follow Me resource. Uh, provided by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to be discussing today are aligning my heart with God, and when I submit to the Lord's will, I can become an instrument in His hands. We'll then expound on these topics and more later on in the footnote segment of the show. Patrick, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of uh, what is going on with the expanse of the church they need a little bit of help. Yep. Uh, so how does this have to do with aligning our hearts with God?
3: Yeah, so the church is in Jerusalem after Jesus leaves, and he, he's left his 12 apostles in charge, right? But, uh, but as they preach and as they have success, there's more and more converts coming to the church from different backgrounds. And the, the 12 apostles, at a certain point, the church gets just so big that the 12 apostles, they can't take care of everything and still be preaching the word. And so they're inspired to, to call some helpers. Uh, in verse 2, The 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them. So, you know, all of the church. Uh, And they said, uh, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. (laughs) So so in other words, like we've got some things we have to take care of, just the organization uh, of the church, just the daily stuff. We've got to be out preaching the word. And so they call seven men to help them with that. So they're going to minister to some of the the temporal needs of the church, uh, as well as the spiritual needs, which frees up the apostles to do what they're called. All to do which is to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and these are men who are full of the Holy Ghost it says full of faith verse 8 I love how it describes Stephen who is one of the seven it says full of faith and power he did great wonders and miracles among the people. So these are the things that, that qualify us for the work. It doesn't say anything about university degrees. It doesn't say anything about, you know, kind of a, a long business resume or something like that. Your, I mean, the,
0: your, uh, your status in society. Exactly.
3: These are characteristics of the heart.
0: So Charles, you spent a lot of your life uh, specifically working, you know, in the scouting organization. Uh, what can you tell us about the importance of developing this attitude of service from such a young age?
4: When we were with the first presidency once, I, I was talking and I said, you know, if, if you're going to strengthen the older leaders, the elders corn presidents, you got to start with the deacons. And President Faust said, oh no, president. He said, it starts earlier than that. It starts with the primary. Wow. I had two great... Um, role models in my mother and father. And I know Patrick's mother and father, and they were wonderful role models of service. So we both came from uh, having great role models where we were taught early to serve just because of something needs to be done.
3: When your heart is aligned with God, then what do you naturally do? You think about other people, yeah. mm-hmm. right? That's and exactly. so this is exactly what we see in the early, early church. These, these, these are people who are converted. They're transformed by their testimonies of Christ. And so they're thinking about the widows. They're thinking about the poor. They're thinking about the people all around them. That's exactly what it means to align your heart with God.
0: What kind of an impact can aligning our hearts with God have on a society? Nika.
2: If we all would align our hearts with God, we wouldn't need prisons or locking our doors or Hmm. anything if we all kept the golden rule, you know. But when we align our hearts to God, you know, I know it makes me feel closer to Him. And I feel like I'm doing His will.
0: Nika, what specific things do you do on a regular basis uh, to align your heart with God? And what's the effect that you see in your life because of that?
2: I'll do small things like at the store, I'll give somebody my shopping cart or the spirit will tell me, you know, um, say hi to that person or mm-hmm. just just teeny things. When I'm trying to do the things that he wants me to do, I, I feel guided.
0: You know, I, I love what uh, Nika had said about when we... Try to uh, align our hearts with God. Then the Holy Ghost can come in and lead us in, into the choice, some of the choices that we make to improve and better the world. What kind of effects do you see as you strive on a regular basis to align your hearts with God?
3: Sometimes it's hard for me. You know, I, I see so much suffering in the world, mm-hmm. right? You open the newspaper, you turn on the news. There's, there's so much need. And I can't solve all of the world's problems, but I can start right in front of me. Uh, I, I can start with serving the people in my home, I can start with serving the people in my neighborhood, uh, in my ward, uh, and then that can radiate outward. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, we are called to heal the world. Sometimes that's gonna look really small, but sometimes we're gonna unite with other people and we're gonna make a big difference in big projects in the world. So I think we don't wanna keep our eye off either scale, either the kind of global big scale that that we do together, but also the person that God put right in front of us. I was
4: just gonna say, I I had two thoughts as I was listening to to Nika. Um, One was, if there's any area where you see where people's hearts are, it's in their ability to forgive. Because we live in a world of imperfect people Mm -hmm. and we're all going to get offended and we're all going to offend. And yet the ability to forgive shows where somebody's heart is. And I've always found that one of the ways of helping to align our hearts is what we put in through our eyes. Mm. I used to tell young men leaders, I don't care what's on the floor of your kid's bedroom. That's (laughs) up to you. But I do care what's on the wall because it's those things that go into the mind that help to heal our hearts and help our hearts to be aligned with the Savior. When our girls were young, we had them uh, choose a temple. And then we'd get them a picture of the temple and put it up there. And they weren't all, it didn't look like a church room. There were other things that mm-hmm. teenagers had. But it's at least one thing that was uplifting and inspiring. And I've always found in my life, it's important for me to surround myself with things that remind me of mm-hmm. the important things.
0: There are some challenges that come with, with the ability to align our hearts, specifically in today's world where... There is so much that we're being bombarded with. What are some of your thoughts on what we can do to really combat some of these things and focus and keep our hearts aligned with where we need to be and where God wants us to be?
4: Sometimes an indication of where our heart is is how we respond to prophetic invitation. President Benson, when he he referred to the, to the 84th section of the Doctrine and Covenants over and over again about the fact that uh, your minds in past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received. And I think sometimes all of us treat a little lightly Mm -hmm. uh, the things that we've received. And that's the time when we have to kind of look at ourselves and say, where is my heart? It's a daily um, reawakening, a daily renewing of where our hearts are. Because sometimes we'll wake up and our hearts may be a little dark. We may be a little discouraged. And yet uh, for some of us, it may be reading the scriptures. For some of us, it may be praying. I have to tell you, for me, it's doing something for somebody else or music. Those two things are the things that help me pull myself up by my bootstraps when I seem to feel a little dark.
0: All right, so we have these, uh, these seven are called and they're going to go out and they're going to help uh, further the work. And everything works out great and the church prospers and they live happily ever after.
3: Exactly. Right. No, well, not, not, not quite. Uh, they have troubles from the very beginning, okay. and so so what what we get here, especially at the end of chapter six and then chapter seven, is the ministry of Stephen, who is mm-hmm. one of the seven. And Stephen is amazing, but but Stephen gets up before all of the other Jews uh, who have not yet been converted to to Jesus, and and he gives this amazing recounting of the history mm-hmm. of Israel that leads up to the ministry and atonement of of Jesus Christ. And he says some things in there that that they don't like, (laughs) that they don't don't appreciate. In chapter seven, if if we go to verses uh, 55 and 56, after he's given this great sermon, uh, and after uh, already uh, he hears grumbles among the crowd, but being full of the Holy Ghost, it says, Stephen looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Can you imagine that experience, Mm -hmm. right? But then as he announces this, that seals the deal. Uh, And and the crowd comes in upon him, and and they stone him to death. So Stephen becomes uh, the the, the first martyr of, of the new church. In fact, he becomes a type of Christ. As I read
4: this, I was thinking about uh, about Alma in chapter Five, where he recounts the history of their people. Yeah, and that's what prophets do. They help us to remember. and um, and it's constant reminders. You know, very seldom you can look through General Conference or listen to General Conference. There's not a lot of new stuff there. Mm -hmm. It's helping us to remember what we ought to be doing. And what's interesting is one person will respond to one talk and one to another because of what our needs are and where our hearts are and where our progress is. Unfortunately, the people who are listening to Stephen didn't respond with with good hearts.
0: You know, and what's interesting is um, where this topic comes from aligning our hearts is an example of how sometimes a world uh, will try to offer a counterfeit or try to to get those um, uh, important things in a roundabout way, you know. And so, uh, Patrick, you want to kind of catch us up with the story of Simon and, and kind of this process that he's going through and uh, some of the lessons we can learn from that.
3: Yeah. So now we're in chapter eight of, of Acts. And uh, so as the church expands, uh, Philip, who's one of these early disciples, he, he goes to a new region of Samaria. Uh, and if you remember that the, during Jesus's ministry, there, there were tensions between the Jews and Samaritans that went a long way back, all, all the way back to, to Old Testament times. But as, as the early church expands, it's like they're not going to leave any stone unturned. So, so he goes into Samaria and starts preaching. And, um, and so in, in, in chapter eight, uh, we, we see here, verse five, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, preached Christ unto them, and begins healing people, begins casting out spirits, begins doing all these these miracles. Uh, and so all these people are flocking to, uh, to, to Philip and to the church. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. So right? talk
0: about what does that mean, sorcery and bewitching? Like, what are they really talking about? It, it,
3: it could have meant a lot of different things uh, at, at, at this time. It would have been pretty common uh, for, for people. It, it, it could have been uh, trying to heal people or cast out demons or, uh, you know, prophesy or, or, or to, to do curses on people. Okay. So sorcery can take a lot of different forms um, in, in the ancient world, but, but the the key thing here for Simon is that he's doing it for money, right? So he's he's doing all these things and builds a reputation uh, to do so. And so he sees people flocking to Philip, that he's healing people, he's casting out spirits, and he says, hey, that's pretty cool. And then Peter and John come in because Philip has been preaching Christ, but he doesn't have the authority to give the Holy Ghost. And so they, they, they call in Peter and John, the apostles who come in to, to, to give the Holy Ghost. And when Simon sees that, he, he gets pretty excited and, and he, he wants that kind of authority too. And so he says, can I buy this off of you? Uh, and uh, Peter isn't real thrilled with that proposition, right? <laughs> uh, in fact, Peter says in verse 20, he says, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money.
4: Simon's kind of like most of us. And that is our testimony and our conversion is a process. It's not just one thing that happens and then we're baptized and then we're there. It's a continual daily process. And with him, the great thing is, is that, um, he recognized his problem. He was chastised. And, uh, and then he said, uh, uh, pray for me because I don't want bad things to happen to me. So he's learning. And, um, And his heart is getting, I think a little better every time, but it's a reminder to us that our heart needs to be right.
0: Well, thank you both for your contributions to our first topic. This has been a great discussion and thank you all for for sharing Mm -hmm. uh, your experiences. And for you at home, what blessings have come into your life as you've worked to align your heart with God? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram.
2: God wants us to be happy. And because he wants us to be happy, He will always pick the choice that will lead us to happiness, and so when we submit to God's will, we're choosing the happiness He would choose for us. He knows the plan. He knows the the end from the beginning, and if we'll just follow Him, He will direct us and lead us on paths that will bring us happiness and growth, and that we can be an instrument in helping other people too.
3: Probably the most instrumental thing that I do in terms of uh, serving the Lord and building His kingdom is just being a good father and being a, a good person within my community. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm ever going to be some big national figure, but I think that if you ever, you know, if you can make an impact in your family and impact the people that you run into, I think that you're living a good life.
0: The second topic we're going to talk about today is when I submit to the Lord's will, I can become an instrument in His hands. And Patrick, uh, we get introduced to a an extremely um, powerful character here. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you mind kind of talking to us about that and what specifically has to do with our second topic?
3: Yes, we're going to meet Saul, who becomes Paul, who is arguably the second most important person in the early history of Christianity behind Jesus himself. Uh, and those are bold uh,
0: words. So those I'm are bold to find words
3: because he writes so much of the New Testament. He mm-hmm. becomes a, an apostle, missionary who preaches the gospel to so many different places, and so Paul is just absolutely central in the in the early decades of Christianity. He grew up, uh, by his own account, as a very, very zealous and observant Jew. Uh, okay. He was uh, in the, the kind of tradition of the Pharisees. Uh, he said he was zealous for the law. Uh, He's clearly studied the scriptures deeply, so he was deeply familiar with the Torah. And so just a very, very faithful Jew. But when sort of uh, this new movement comes on the scene with these apostles and other people preaching about Jesus, Paul's having none of it. Okay. Uh, And in fact, uh, we first meet Paul in Acts chapter 7. Uh, remember, we had talked about how Stephen was stoned, how he was martyred at the mm-hmm. end of his sermon. And in chapter 7, uh, verse 58, they cast him out of the city. They stoned him. The witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. So Saul is at the stoning of Stephen. He's there uh, in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1, it says he was consenting unto his death. So he was not an unwilling party here. And in fact, he went around in verse 3 of chapter 8, making havoc for the church. Uh, he went around trying to, to arrest or to round up. Uh, these early believers in Jesus. So he was known and he traveled from city to city. Mm-hmm. So he was known far and wide as one of the great persecutors of the earliest Christians.
0: Obviously he 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 turns uh yeah. and from his from his ways and he uh he has his famous conversion. Uh Charles, you mind kind of telling us some of the details about uh Saul's conversion and him becoming Paul?
4: Yeah, you know, and that's in chapter 8 where um uh He's he's on the road mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he has a vision. The savior says, he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou Lord? Which seems to indicate that he may have known who who was <laughs> talking? That's <laughs> right. right. There's a, there's right. a presence. There. And the Lord said, "I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks," which means this: the prick is the goad for the the animals, and if you kick against it, it gets even worse. And He's saying, you know, you you know, you, you're learned. You understand all of the Old Testament. Why do you keep kicking against what the Old Testament prophesied to? Elder Bednar said, if you take what the adversary is doing and switch it 180 degrees, then you see how we ought to be using something uh, in the Lord's way. That happens with music, it happens with the internet, with everything else. But it also happens with Saul, because he basically made this 180 degree flip almost overnight. Although my gut feeling is, like most of us, his conversion continued for the rest of his life.
3: Paul even talks about this in one of his famous letters, the epistle to the Romans in chapter six, verse 13, he's giving counsel to the Roman saints, but he could have been talking about himself, um, where he says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God.
0: Are you saying that a lot of the personality traits and the qualities that Saul used to, you know, um fight against the church, now the Lord is saying, I'm gonna take those same qualities of persuasion, of persistence, uh, just his drive that the he has the zeal, and I'm gonna use that. For, for good.
3: Yeah, and we know this, that, that God will turn our weaknesses into mm-hmm. strengths, right? Yeah. And so for Paul, God could use attributes of his character and his personality to be an instrument for the spreading of the gospel.
4: I almost feel like the Lord gives us talents that can both be a strength mm-hmm. and a weakness. When, when we were in the mission field, I watched missionaries who were very open and very strong. Sometimes they had a hard time doing humble and (laughs) listening and taking instruction. On the other hand, those that were humble and quiet, they had a hard time opening their mouths and each one of them had to learn to take that talent and use it in the Lord's way. And once they did, they became mighty instruments in God's hands. It was amazing to see that transition.
3: And I love when 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 God speaks to Ananias and he says, Okay, uh, I've got a job for you, <laughs> Ananias, <laughs> right? And you, you've you've got to go in and minister to this guy named Saul. And Ananias is like, Saul? Who, like, who like, me? Like, <laughs> yeah, like like you know who you're talking about, God. And um and God very patiently says, and I love this in chapter nine, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God saw something in Saul that nobody else had seen. God saw what Saul was to become.
0: Bonnie Parkin uh, talks about being an instrument in the hands It speaks to what you're saying. She said, what does it mean to be an instrument in everyday terms? I think it means to nurture others. Joseph Smith called it acting according to those sympathies in our hearts. I have had many sweet moments when I have felt the Lord using me as an instrument. I believe that you too have been guided and helped as you teach, comfort, and encourage. When have you seen the Lord use somebody as an instrument in His hands? Mary.
1: My mom, she's been such a great instrument of God to us, whereas like, when we feel like we're losing our faith, like she's always giving us ideas. And these are ideas that probably everyone knows, like, you know, you should go to church and go to the temple, person.
0: And what specific things, Mary, has that done to strengthen your own testimony?
1: Specifically, like how I live my life, based on how she told us to like read the scriptures and learn from Jesus' examples. We have been blessed to have someone that not only learned about God, but also leaves His ways every single day for each of us as kids to be able to work in those same ways.
0: You know, and, and we see this, uh, thank you, Mary. We see this example with, like you talked about with Ananias and how, I love that the Lord, uh, whatever He has to do, He'll do. And then He turns it over to us.
4: Most of the times when we're instruments, it's in small things. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: President Oaks, when he was in Germany said, you know, it's interesting, but daily scripture study, service, daily prayer does more to to prepare us to become like the Savior than the visitation of angels.
0: And we had a question come in from one of our viewers that talks about, really relates to the situation that Ananias uh, has been put on. Uh, I'd like to watch that with all of you and uh, get some of your thoughts.
3: Fancy Nine
1: from Libero, West Africa. How can I cannot find the strength to do what God asks, especially when it is difficult? Thank you.
0: Like you said, this is Ananias is put in a pretty difficult spot, and uh, and clearly the Lord wants to use him. The Lord wants to use Saul, but I I like how this relates specifically to Ananias when we're asked to do difficult things. So how do we get that strength to overcome some of our fears, maybe some of our insecurities, and allow ourselves to be that instrument that he needs us to be?
4: Saul was caught unawares, suddenly on the road to Damascus, but not Ananias. Yeah. Ananias, the instrument was prepared And he'd prepared him by doing all of those things that were right to make sure that his heart was right. We prepare one step at a time. So when the Lord needs us, hopefully we'll be able to walk through that door. We have windows that open and if we're ready, we'll be able to serve. So it's just those small things that help us that Ananias obviously was doing. Yeah.
0: Charles, the Boy Scout is coming out in you, all this talk about being being prepared.
4: (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that, you know? Uh, In fact, President Monson is the perfect example of an instrument. Early on in his ministry as a bishop, he had a a brother that was in the hospital who needed him, and he Mm -hmm. felt a strong prompting during the meeting, get up and leave now, and he hesitated. The stake president was talking and he didn't wanna go across the aisle, And unfortunately, the brother had died calling his name. So we learn in our preparation, sometimes by sad examples. You both teach you. Mm -hmm. How do you teach your students to have hope and to have faith in them and to know that you have
3: faith in them?
0: I want to hear from you.
3: (laughs) You're always asking the questions. I I, I want to hear you.
0: Um, I try to, to help them see that Forgiveness and and repentance, uh, there is so much joy, because there has been I think sometimes um, this a stigma behind repentance that it is something that we should be ashamed of or something that we should fear. So I think showing them the the joy and the happiness that comes from change, and honestly, um, I think a lot of times it's good for them to to see somebody who is real and. Um, that we all have struggles and nobody is exempt from the need of the atonement. And when you can show them that and that you can still be happy uh, as you overcome uh, the, the sins of the world, uh, then I, I think that gives them hope
3: yeah, I think I think it's so so important oh, of taking them into the scriptures to see these stories. and and the New Testament, maybe there's no other place that shows us that over and over and over again, who is Jesus reaching out to? he's He's reaching out to people who are really in sin, mm-hmm. right? who really have deep problems.
0: Why do you think the Lord chooses to use such imperfect people, and specifically with with Saul and some of the things that he was involved in? Why does he use such imperfect people to do such a great work?
3: Well, because I think he wants us to become something, Mm -hmm. right? God's whole work and glory is to bring to pass our immortality, our eternal life. He wants to make something of us. And so he's going to allow us, he gives us these opportunities to, to grow, to serve, to become something more than we were. You know, sometimes we in, in, in our various, whether in our families, in our wards, in our callings, and so forth, sometimes we don't have the same vision. We, we can't yet see what God sees for other people. He just says, go to your job. Go fulfill your calling. Go love these people. Go minister to them the way that I've asked you to, to help them become the people that I want them to become.
0: Because the change was so abrupt for Saul, does it teach us or show us that he really believed that what he was doing on the other side was right and he just needed a little course correction?
3: I think he was absolutely sincere, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he... uh, and, and you know we see some people in the scriptures who aren't always and they knew that they were doing wrong because then you have this
0: back and forth of trying to yeah, justify right
3: I, I i think saul was entirely sincere uh and you know this this intervention mm-hmm. of, of jesus christ this call to repent but what's impressive is that he responded to the call and i love what it says in chapter 9 verses 18 through 20 and i think this is just such a great formula And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith, I was blind, but now I see, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. So here we see Saul, he's healed by God. He's nurtured and cultivated by the church and then he's uh, activated to go out and do the work immediately, right? I mean, this is the formula, like God heals us, the church nurtures us, and then we're prepared for service.
4: Patrick mentioned this important change as the, the seven that were called were a little different background than the initial 12. This was a new era in church history, and Paul seems to be a pivot point.
0: Thank you both for for sharing with us today and contributing to this conversation. And for the audience, thank you so much for being here and helping to invite the Spirit uh, during this discussion. And for you at home, how has the Spirit spoken to you throughout your studies this week? Share with us on Instagram. Coming up in footnotes, we're going to dive even deeper into the scriptures with Patrick and Charles.
2: The Spirit communicates to me just in a still small voice um, little impressions, and sometimes a feeling of warmth or goosebumps, and I just know that um, I'm being prompted. The Spirit communicates with me by just touching my heart, sometimes whispering into my ear and, and telling me, you know, you need to do this. And and also by the way I feel, cause sometimes I'll just feel, you know, something's just not right in my life and I need, I need to fix that. I know the Lord's speaking to me when I have feelings of correctness or feelings of peace, because I know that the Lord is, would want me to make the best choice. And so when I feel like I have found that best choice and it feels right, that's when I know that that's the Lord's choice for me.
0: We've talked about aligning our hearts with God. We've discussed submitting to God's will and becoming an instrument in his hands. The studio audience has been dismissed. Now let's get into footnotes and dive deeper into Acts chapter 6 through 9 with Patrick and Charles. Okay, so one of the stories that um, we, we touched on that I wanted to come back to, because there is a rest of the story that I think you know, it would be important to yeah. to go over is the story of Simon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick, do you wanna start us off talking about Simon and catching us up and then we can go to the rest of what happens with him? Yeah,
3: I think we kind of left off, <laughs> you know, uh, with Simon in kind of a bad place of of him, you know, wanting even coveting, I think this, this power, the priesthood power that Peter and John uh, brought with them as they gave people the Holy Ghost right? So, I mean, in some ways, I mean, this is just the way Simon had always been operating, right? He, he did his work, you know, for, for money, and, mm-hmm. and, you, and, and but, but Peter's, you know, with some pretty strong language, right? Saying this this is not the way. Uh, Peter calls him to repentance, repent therefore of, of thy wickedness. Um, and, and in verse 23, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, Peter's always pretty direct. I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity, right? So, we don't get a great portrait of Simon, but I love, and, and it's Charles. It's always
4: darkest before the light. That's right. <laughs>
3: That's right. And I, I love the, the, I mean, you you, you can read this because I, I actually think we see here the redemption. We, we hear Simon actually give heed to, to the apostles' we, words. We do. And his response
4: was, then answered Simon and said, pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. That's a wonderful response. Mm-hmm. I, I I wish I was had the ability to respond every time to every time I'd been chastised like that. Sometimes we we put up a wall yeah. and uh, or we become defensive, but he didn't.
0: Yeah, I can see, you know, Peter kind of looking at him, just kind of staring into his soul and just letting him look. I I, I can tell something yeah. is going on that you're 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 hurting, yeah. that you're struggling. Cuz then his reaction really shows that um, he's he he. That's where you really see this change come into him, and he's like, "Will you pray for me?" Uh,
3: who knows why Luke crafted it this way, right? That we don't get any more of the story. We we don't know. But but I also like this notion that we're sort of the author of our own story, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, we we get the call to repentance, and then sort of the question here is, okay, if you're Simon, where where do you go from here? sometimes we see these immediate turns right, right. Uh, e- e- even with Saul and sometimes we talk about you know the vision on the road to Damascus what we sometimes forget is that yes Paul then immediately went and 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 he preached and and so forth but then there's this period of about ten to fourteen years, where he goes, we actually don't know that much about him. So yes, there's that moment of immediate conversion, but it also sometimes takes time to Thanks. sink in too. Sometimes it's a microwave, sometimes it's a slow cooker. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's a great analogy.
0: So speaking of changing, uh, let's go back to Saul at this speech that Stephen is giving, and I love this speech. <laughs> I love the um, what he's doing. Can you tell us some of the significance of? of it's Stephen speaking specifically about the history of Israel and their liberation from Egypt.
3: Yeah. We always have to remember that these were Jews, Mm -hmm. right? So, so they were deeply formed in the history of the Israel, of Israel. They knew the Torah. They knew the, what we call the Old Testament very, very well. That was their story. Um, and, and what Jesus did was he came and fulfilled that law and added to it. And and they saw and understood Jesus to be the fulfillment of those prophecies. So that's exactly what Stephen does here. Mm -hmm. In, in many ways, what he's done doing here is recounting very familiar history to us. He recounts to us the story of Abraham being called, of Moses being called and, and preaching uh, in, in, in the wilderness and, and Aaron and, and so forth. And Joseph. And, and, and Joseph, right? So, so, these are all people, of course, his audience would have known exactly what he was talking about. These are these are very familiar stories. But, and so sometimes you say, well, then why were they so mad? <laughs> right? I mean, he, he's just telling them the stories that they know. Well, they're, they're mad for, for, a few reasons. So, yes, it's this uh, sermon is about the fulfilling of the promises made to Abraham. But one of the things that he does kind of towards the end of the speech is he, he says, you know what? And the Israelites have always rejected God's servants. They've always rejected God's prophets. And he points to some you know instances that, that they would have known. Uh, and then he also he's sort of very subtly, um, and then not so subtly at the end, but he says, God does not confine his presence to just one place. For them, that would have been the Jerusalem temple, mm-hmm. right. Right? right? Yes, the temple is sacred, but God has always worked in other places as well, and it's all fulfilled in Jesus. So, that's the culmination okay. that to them is blasphemy, right? To us, that's our profession of faith right. as as Christians. And this was one of the reasons, of course, why Jesus himself was, was persecuted and, and ultimately crucified.
0: So what does this tell us about Stephen, just the fact that he was willing to, to give up his life for this message that he is uh, delivering to, you know, to, to the Jews, to his people, um, but standing on firm ground in the face of so much hostility coming back towards him.
3: I really see Stephen as a type of Christ here. Uh, in the message that he delivers. Uh, but uh, of, of course, he, he sees Jesus uh, on, on the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. He, he's willing to to suffer all these things. And I love the very last verse of chapter seven, again, as a type of Christ, that Stephen kneels down and cries with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Even in this moment of extreme agony, he also is imitating the Lord in offering this grace and forgiveness, even to his persecutors, wow. right? Pray for your enemies, love your enemies. You know, it's
4: interesting, but you you, you um, see the response to this tough language, and then you see this response of Simon to the tough language. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes it's where our heart is and where our testimony is. And I just think this is a wonderful message, wonderful message of uh, how we respond to God's prophets. They responded in a very negative way when Stephen taught them. Mm-hmm.
0: So. and then we and we see this illustrated as well with you know the call of Saul, you know as he becomes this this instrument. And uh, Charles, can you teach us a little bit about what we can learn uh, being an instrument with your experience with? the many musical instruments that you play. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you
4: play? <laughs> well, I uh, started out with piano, uh-huh. and then I played trumpet, and, uh, and I play the banjo, and uh, I fool around with some others. But mm-hmm. you know, with an instrument, you have to pick them up, and you have to uh, also know how to how to use them. And then they bring some tremendous joy to people. Music is a wonderful blessing. We all have talents. And uh, everyone has to learn to identify their talents and then to be able to develop them so that they can then become an instrument uh, in the hands of God. And if we don't develop the talents, then either our Heavenly Father has to help us uh, to be able to be an instrument in spite of our weakness, or we're left unfulfilled and when that window opens that we talked about before, we can't walk through it
3: So that's, that's so powerful and I, I love the, you know the fact that you play you know the, the, the piano, the banjo, the trumpet, they're all different instruments. Yeah. Yeah. they sound different. you play them different that's right true. And we're all different instruments mm-hmm. we are right And God's got a whole orchestra yeah. of, of instruments and He knows how to use us. Yeah. We all sound different but when we when we come together in the right way and, and instruments too, you got to take care of them
4: The other thing when you mention that is um, when we compare ourselves to each other, Mm -hmm. we're always going to be Mm -hmm. dissatisfied. Every one of us has a unique talent and ability, and we can bless the lives of others using those talents.
0: You know, as we talk about, you know, these talents that we have, and sometimes, you know, as beautiful as a clarinet can be played in the wrong hands, it can... It can be all, yeah. In my hands, it's yeah, bad. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Right, right. And we see this with Saul, how he's being used, you know, yeah. in, in the hands of, of somebody else. What does the adversary have to do to us to get our, our gaze turned in another direction?
3: So I, I never want to say that, that Saul was doing the wrong thing in, in the terms of he was living the law right? He was, he was living what, the law He was of taught what he learned. Exactly, right? He was living his, his religion. What, what, what Paul Saul hadn't learned, even though the Torah says it over and over and over again, is that the purpose of all this is to love other people, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're complicit in the stoning of somebody else, that's not love. You're, he, yeah. At that moment, he was not being a good Jew. Uh, and and so there are times, even that in our own righteousness, in our own zeal, that I think sometimes we can be so self-righteous mm-hmm. that, that that we can hurt other people. And so this this is why love, humility, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, uh, never to never to sort of violate or go against our, our convictions. But there's a way to to bring those convictions into the world with love and kindness.
0: So we, we talked about um, some of the uh, the disciples and and I want to touch on a little bit more on this, on how they are taking over the role of Jesus. Now that they are kind of put in charge, uh, some of the acts that the disciples are doing uh, that Jesus was once doing. Uh, what are some of those things that stand out to you? Uh, what other um, acts that we see that we want to touch on at this time?
3: Yeah, and I think I, I want to go back to, to something that Jesus has prophesied. So, in, in John chapter 14, um, the, this was his, his final night with his disciples, mm-hmm. you know, at the, the Last Supper before he's, he's crucified. And uh, so, in John chapter 14, verse 12, he says to, to the disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Now, we don't wanna take that too far. They're, they're the, the most essential things, only Jesus Christ right. could do, the, the atonement. Nobody else could, could atone for our sins. But he, so here he's talking about uh, in, in, in the Bible, when it's talking about the works, it's usually referring to the miracles, to the teachings, the, those kinds of things, not to the atonement, right? But, but he's saying, you're gonna go out and do what, what I've done. You've seen me heal the sick, you're gonna heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead, you're gonna raise the dead. And this is what we see in in these chapters. So he tells us we we should have confidence. Again, we are not the savior, we are not the son of God. Let's not confuse that, not for a moment, but he has called us to do the same works of love and charity and healing that
4: he did. But the other message is, is that I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. Mm -hmm. And right at, at the beginning of Acts in the first chapter, Verse two, it says, until the day in which he was taken up after that through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And so we're seeing the administration and the works of the Holy Ghost through the apostles as they do these wonderful miracles. It almost is not only telling the people that the apostles are there and have that same power, but I think it also gives them hope that they can carry on without the master. It must have been devastating Mm -hmm. for them. To lose this man, who had been their head, their teacher, their master, uh, but with the gift of the Holy Ghost and with the ability to do these things, they could carry on, and they had the hope that we've talked about.
3: And I, I, th- I think we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as believers and followers of Jesus, I mean, he tells us he, he empowers us to do his his right. work, right? And so we we have to believe in a God of miracles. Mm-hmm right? And I've seen miracles, right? And, and um, God raises people from the dead today. God heals people today. He uses his servants through prayer, through priesthood blessings, through faith to do these things. And so, one of the marks of the true church is, do you really believe that God still has power in the That's world right. today? Not just 2,000 years That's ago. Right. I believe these stories, but I believe that God's
4: and, doing that. And same kind changes hearts. Exactly. He changed his hearts today, just like yeah. he did in the Book of Mormon times, just like here.
0: You know, and I imagine it, it had to have been an adjustment for the apostles and for the disciples, seeing Jesus himself walking amongst them, perform these miracles, and all of a sudden he's gone. And now they have to learn how to trust themselves, how to trust the Holy Ghost. Okay, is this really happening right now? And, and, and to move forward, what do you think that process was like? And how do we relate to that today as we move on? without Jesus in his physical form among us, but trusting that we can follow those promptings of the Holy Ghost to align ourselves and to do his work and be instruments in his hands.
4: Isn't that what President Nelson is trying to get us to do when he says, hear him? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really listening, getting us in the midst of... We've talked about how busy this world is. It's not only busy, but it is distracting. There are Mm -hmm. distractions all over It's a noisy world (laughs) and to be able to hear a still, small voice is often difficult. And so I think as Latter-day Saints, uh, it's important for us to be able to attune our ears and our hearts because it's not always through here, but to be able to learn to hear the voice that is there. Uh, He spoke to Adam, he spoke to Moses, he spoke to Joseph and he speaks to us. He speaks to President Nelson, but he also speaks and whispers to us, if we just have the ears to hear.
3: So can, can can I ask? So I mean, you've got a couple of years on on, on me and, and Ben. So so <laughs> with, with with your experience, how do you learn to do this? Because it's it's not magic. We're not Simon, no. right? Mm-hmm. And there are people that we love, people that we pray for, who who don't heal. Uh, you know, that they, they don't recover. We, right. we, you know, we we don't just walk around doing miracles right. all all the time. So. How do you learn to be an instrument in the Lord's hands and have that faith in the power of God while also submitting to to his will?
4: You know, um, a friend of mine just asked a question of uh, one of the senior brethren about how he listens and how he distinguishes between revelation and his own desires. And he said, I am still uh, learning. This is a man who's in his eighties and and um but he said if you feel at peace and you feel like it's right and it's in accordance with the guidance of the church and with the prof- the current modern day prophet, then he says you're probably okay. I don't know whether that's yeah, helpful. No, that's or not. really
3: helpful and uh I rem- it, it, it reminds me, I mean, you're talking about distractions. I mean, Ben, you were telling us a story about crowding out distractions. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: I I, uh, I went on a fishing trip uh, last year, a good friend of mine who is an amazing fisherman. And uh, he we're using the same lures, we're on the same river. And at some point he would even tell me exactly where to put it. <laughs> and And he's pulling them out left and right. And I, I swear he had over 30 before I even had one. Uh. And I was getting really, really frustrated. And he would go up on a higher level and watch and see what I was doing. And he noticed that I was attracting the fish wasn't the problem. I was in the right spot, but I didn't have a feel for, for when to, to hook the fish. I kind of wandered off on my own, and I, and I sat in this, own little, this little spot. And everybody was down there catching all their fish. <laughs> and I just, I, I, I had this idea, what if I just closed my eyes? And so I did. And it was amazing. The moment I felt that fish take a nibble, that's when I knew to hook it.
4: Set the hook. I set the hook,
0: that's exactly what it was. And and so next thing I had pulled out four fish and the guys were like, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) he finally figured it out. And I was embarrassed to tell them that I was closing my eyes the whole time. (laughs) But I, I ended up catching 11 fish the second half of the day, all with my eyes closed because I had removed the other distractions and my sensitivities were more more in tune to what I was trying to get after. And it speaks to what you guys are talking about, how when we can remove some of these distractions, then we can better hone in on what we're really being asked to do. And all the adversary has to do is just distract us into looking at somewhere else. And then, yeah. you know, we're not as effective as it could be.
4: You know, we're so busy doing good things that sometimes in the midst of doing good things, we we don't hearken to the spirit, mm-hmm. the whisperings that come, or we delay it a little bit. And we've all had that experience. Yeah, yeah. Every everybody here that's listening right. has had an experience like that, where you think, "If I just would have responded quicker." Yeah.
0: And speaking of responding quicker, we have the story of Philip. You know, yeah. I, I feel like there's a theme. A you know, we start. see it with Saul. How he, as soon as he 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 realizes what he's doing, he runs uh, immediately. He changes. Yep. Do you want to catch us up on Philip and let's yeah. talk about this? His response to being called.
3: So Philip had been preaching in Samaria, so that that's where we get the whole story with Simon and everything. But then uh, we're in chapter eight, uh, verse twenty-six. The angel of the Lord speaks to Philip, saying, "Arise and go down to the south uh, towards uh, from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is the desert." So this is if, if if you know the geography at all. So I mean, Jerusalem of course is the main city. So Gaza is going to be uh, south and west of there, and and now you're getting you are getting close to the desert where Egypt is mm-hmm. and Sinai. Uh, and all that. that. So, so here rose, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So, this was a man of faith You know, he's a God-fearing man. He's sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah, right? Right, Like how many people like in the middle of a car trip, you know, it's it's like, yeah, I'm going to go over
0: to a rest stop. I can see you doing that.
3: Uh, (laughs) My wife, maybe she loves Isaiah, Uh, but he's at a rest stop reading Isaiah, (laughs) right? Uh, But he gets to this point and he's not sure what what it means, you know, and, and Philip runs to him, right? The spirit says, you see that guy over there? Go
0: talk to him. Go talk to him.
3: Exactly. Verse yep. 30, Philip ran thither to him. Right? The Spirit says, go talk to him. He runs over there. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and the guy's like, how can
0: I? Like,
3: uh, he didn't have come follow me. Yeah, he, he, right. he didn't have, you know, he didn't have any. And so, so he says, come sit with me. And this is exactly what Philip said in verse 35. He opened his mouth, began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He interpreted the scriptures, helped him see Jesus. And and I love again so Philip ran to him and the Ethiopian said, Hey, I believe what's stopping me from getting baptized? And by the way, <laughs> right? here's water right next to the road. <laughs> next to the, to <laughs> next the, to the rest top, right. right. And so he does. He he goes right down. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so, Philip goes down and baptizes him. Now, now because he was a eunuch, actually, he would not have been allowed into the, the house of Israel. So, he may have been a God-fearing man, mm-hmm. but Deuteronomy 23 says that eunuchs weren't allowed uh, to, to be part of Israel. So, again, we see the gospel going to new groups, uh, to people who maybe weren't part. You know, it, it, What we see throughout the New Testament is the way that God through the gospel, through Jesus, through the disciples, he reaches out to people who feel marginalized, Mm -hmm. people who feel on the edges, people feel like they don't fit in for all kinds of reasons. God reached out to him and found him. It's amazing. No matter your talents, your lack of talent, short, tall, black, white, female, male, it doesn't matter. There is hope for you. Jesus loves you. He sends the word to you, I mean, I and I think that's what, if we can get nothing else out of the New Testament, but this feeling of hope that God loves you, right? God reaches out after you, that's a powerful message. And, and you know, uh, if I can just add,
4: hope doesn't come from here. Mm. Sometimes we read the scriptures, I think, uh, to remember, but I've always felt like the scriptures are there to help us to align our hearts so that we can hear and feel what God has to speak to us. He's got answers, he's got, he's, uh, because hope comes from through the Holy Ghost, through our yeah. Heavenly Father. And so as we read the scriptures, as we pray, as we go to church, as we align our hearts and align our actions, and sometimes we have to align our actions mm-hmm. first, and then our hearts mm-hmm. are aligned. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we do that, we become more susceptible to the promptings of the Spirit.
0: Charles, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a delight for me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you both for for what you've added and contributed to this. And thank you for joining us in our conversations about aligning our hearts to God and His will. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For more, visit byutv.org slash come follow up. And join us next week as we explore Acts chapters 10 through 15.